Harley's death has, has taught me so much about the things that matter in life and the things that are worth your energy. And it's it's hard to say, but I've I've learned a lot, and I, I thank him every day for what I've learned and what I've experienced because he's made me the person that I am today, and and he's given me that resilience that I would have never thought that I had because people used to say all the time. Oh, it, it happened to you because you're you you're strong enough to deal with it. If it was me, I wouldn't have been able to. And it used to frustrate me, but at the same time, I think you, nobody knows what they're capable of until you wake up one day and your life's just a completely different life. Life gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons, into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Everything changed the morning of January 27, 2016 for Ashley Barber. Her brother Harley, who she was extremely close with, had been killed along with his passenger in a horrific car accident. And just to make everything worse... It was all over the news, social media and the papers. His final moments were inescapable, beamed everywhere, with the media desperate for a grab about the single worst moment in Ash and her family's life. For the first time, Ash opens up about how she put one foot in front of the other in the months following Harley's death. The relentlessness of the media caught and everything that followed grieving her brother and the future he now won't have, why siblings are the forgotten mourners, writing as an outlet for grief, and how she's found her purpose in helping others through volunteering her time with a service to support grieving siblings. Thank you, Ash, for sharing your story so bravely and with so much heart and vulnerability. A trigger warning for this one, it contains references to suicide. Here's Ash. Ash, how are you? Welcome to the Lemonade Podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. It's so good for you to be here on this beautiful, sunny Saturday in Melbourne and Christmas is coming. How are you feeling? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, it's been a little bit of a crazy year, so it's definitely going to be an interesting and probably quiet Christmas this year. Oh, good. It's probably what we all need, I reckon, right now. I just feel utterly exhausted. Now, Ash, I begin all of my interviews in the exact same way, and that is wanting to know what childhood was like for my guests. So can you take me right back? What was it like for you growing up? What do you remember? Yeah, definitely. Growing up for me, I was very lucky. Um, So it was just my mum, my nan, and my three siblings. Um, So Harley, Candice, and Harry. I'm kind of in the middle with my brother Harley, so... Candace was the oldest, um, always kind of looking out for us. We grew up in, in Kilcunda and Wanthaggy, so we were always outdoors, either at the beach or playing backyard cricket, um, always very close. There was not a lot of TV or internet going on back then. So, yeah, we were always outdoors and, and we just we had a really great life growing up. Oh, my gosh, it sounds so idyllic. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. It really was. 
Is that the kind of thing, if you decide to have a family one day, is that the kind of upbringing you'd like? You know, something that's so, I guess, back to back to basics, you know, just something that's so wholesome? Yeah, definitely. I, I like the idea of being outdoors and, you know, just, just being out in nature and having them grow up in that kind of atmosphere, not online gaming every night or every weekend. It's nice to be out and about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And how would the people you went to school have described you? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. I was probably um, more of the nerdier, quiet kid growing up. You know, probably back then the school was tiny. It was 52 kids. I was a bit of a teacher's pet. Yeah. So, so moving up to Melbourne, things changed drastically for me. You know, we're at schools where there's six, seven, eight hundred kids. I've come from a classroom of 10. Oh my God. Um, So, so probably a little bit quieter when I was um, back in Kilcunda, Wanthaggy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you've always, as you said, you've been so close with your family growing up. What were your memories like growing up with your brothers and brothers and your sister? What did you get up to? Oh, (laughs) I probably can't touch on all of that. Um, yeah, we so Harley and I were very, very close. We were only 23 months apart. So we were the two that were probably always in, in trouble together. Um, and when we weren't in trouble together, he was pulling my hair or we were f- punching on. Or um, And then my sister, you know, she was the one that looked out for us, took us down to the beach, take us to the local milk bar. Harry didn't come along until some years later. So, yeah, we were... Um, we were either fighting or we loved each other. It just depended on what day you got us on or hour, really. Yeah. <laughs> and what kind of a kid was Harley? Oh, he was definitely a troublemaker, um, but but had a heart of gold as well. So it's hard to describe him when I think about what we did because I used to think he was a little asshole when we were growing <laughs> up. He'd be pulling my hair and biting me on the back. And I remember my sister saying to me one day, Ash, you just got to punch him back. And my mum and dad were exactly the same. Ash, if you don't hit him, he's just going to he's just gonna keep tormenting you. And it's probably not the right advice, but one day I took it and I, I smacked him one. It wouldn't have been hard. We were tiny, but... Um, yeah, he never, he never touched me again after that. So it was probably really good advice. I have to say, I love that. That's the memory you brought up. (laughs) I'm sure there's better ones, but that's the first one that come to mind. So, so you were always really close to two of you. Yeah. Yeah. Very close. And you were just starting your life. If I can take you back, you were 21, you were engaged at that time, you had a job in real estate, you're working with my family at the time and, and that's how we know each other. You'd bought a house as, I, as, as far as I know. Can you take me back to that era of your life? What was life like? Like, did it all just feel like everything was just falling into place very naturally and easily? Yeah, I mean, life felt, I, I actually felt that I had the perfect life and it, it sounds silly, but I did. I was, you know, I had the two dogs, we'd bought the house, I was engaged to be married and everything just seemed really perfect. And, you know, as all families do, everyone has their ups and downs, but it was a really great life and everything, like we we were just happy and bad things would happen, but we'd get through them and we'd just take it day by day. And I really loved where I was at with my life at that time. Yeah. And then your world changed forever one day. Um, it was the 27th of January 2016. As you just said, everything felt very idyllic and like it was going to plan and then everything changed. Can you take us back to that day? Yeah. Um, so I guess um, Boxing Day was just a normal Boxing Day. It, it was my fiancé's birthday and everything, you know, just 
was a normal day and um yeah we woke up the next morning and it was a work day and I would normally stay in bed later than my partner and I remember hearing his phone ring and I I heard him out in the kitchen on the phone and it wasn't unusual for his boss to call him you know early hours and I think it must have been about 6 20 in the morning um and yeah I remember just just not feeling right in the stomach and I just you know sometimes you just know and he come into the bedroom and said Ash we have to go to your mum's and I kind of knew something wasn't right and I said I'm not going what's wrong and he said no no we just your mum's just called and we need to go to your mum's and no no I'm, I'm not going and stubborn me I refused to go for a little while and he said that he didn't know what was going on we just needed to go to mum's and that was okay I you know I'm not getting dressed I'm coming right now in my pajamas and I was lucky we only lived five minutes from mum at the time but we jumped in the car and it just felt like a lifetime in silence we 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 didn't speak I didn't know what he knew that I didn't know um and as we pulled into the court I remember Harley's car was missing from the driveway and I remember saying Harley's car's not here Harley's car's not here and for a second I guess I thought maybe Harley's also coming home from work he started early and then I realized well mum's here and they work together so if she's here then there's no reason for his car not to be here anyway we, we walked in in the front door and um I remember seeing mum's partner at the time he was standing in the kitchen just staring at us as we walked in and I could just hear the sound of the spoon hitting his cup as he stirred his coffee and I just looked at him and I I just froze and he said go and see your mum and just pointed to Harley's room and I don't even I I think I froze I I didn't know what to do and as I walked up and and looked into Harley's room my mum was sitting on his bed with my other brother Harrison and they were just crying um and yeah my mum just looked at me and she said Harley's gone Ash and I don't I don't even think I believed it because I'd you don't you're in shock you don't have any idea what's going on and all of a sudden you've had this phone call at 6 20 in the morning and you get to your mum's house and she's sitting on the bed telling you he's not here anymore and yeah I remember sitting on the bed with with mum and she just held me and and she was a mess and my brother was a mess and we're in his in Harley's room and yeah that they were they were the moments from that morning that I remember really clearly um, and then, you know, I was like, Where, where's my sister? Where's my nan? And they were on my nan's bed doing the same thing. Like my sister was just trying to console my nan. And and then that whole day was just, you're in so much shock, Elizabeth. I don't even know. I think I even went to the shops at one point because we had so many people coming in and out of the house. And I remember bumping into a friend at the shops and she was like, how are you? And I'm like, yeah, I just lost my brother. <laughs> and I think about it now and I think what the hell was I thinking how can you just do that so casually but I was in that much shock that I I I, I didn't think it was I guess I just didn't believe that it was it was real Mm. and I remember you know people coming and going from the house all day and everyone coming to send their condolences and flowers at the door and I mean, it was day one. I'd only just found out like two hours ago and the house is full of people and it was just chaos. And 
I couldn't find any quiet time. I remember my mum just walking up and down, holding his T-shirt, smelling it and holding his photo and, you know, her saying, I don't want to forget this. I don't want to forget what he smells like. And I remember I had to go outside and I tried to find a quiet area in the backyard and I just sat against the brick wall and I could finally cry. Like I just, it all come out. And then my mum come out and found me and she sat with me and and then my brother's best friend, Daniel, arrived with his brother and it just broke my heart because I knew that I was hurting but this was Harley's best friend who they you know he confided in him and you know they would have shared things that you don't share with with your family or your mum you know so the whole day itself was just um, I remember bits and pieces clearly and then other bits I just think are an absolute complete blur and then just to make the worst day of your life that much worse is that it was all over the news. It was, you know, this isn't just some people, things happen to people down the street and you don't even know, but this just happened to be something that was then plastered all over the TV, all over the newspapers all, that morning, right? At, what was that like? Oh, that, that for me was, I think, one of the most challenging things I mean, my friends knew before I did. Um, for anyone that was up early that watched the news, wow. they knew about it. And I, I'm not big on, so, or I wasn't big on social media. And I remember when I eventually jumped onto to Facebook, I'd actually had a message um, from a girlfriend from school. And it was it was probably one, oh, it would have been, sorry, 2.30 in the morning. And she said, Ash, my partner just witnessed something really horrible and it looked like Harley's car. Um, can you tell me that Harley's home and okay? And I never had the nerve to tell my mum because my mum went through that real um, phase of let me go to the site, I can bring him back, I can. he needs his mum, I can help him. And, you know, the detectives are trying to say, you know, Jan, you can't. And then for me to have that message and think, could I have done something? Could I have been there earlier? Could I have, could I have made any sort of difference? And when the details come out about what time it was and it was about one thirty-six in the morning or something um, and the last phone call like they go into detail the last phone call on his phone was one twenty, and yeah so and then obviously the messages flow in from the news reporters saying Ashley it's such and such from whatever news channel it might have been um, we just uh, we just want to ask some questions about your brother oh and we're sorry to hear about your loss and I just thought I understand that it's a job, but the nerve of these reporters, you've spread all this this news about my brother that half of it wasn't even factual at the start. Mm. It was just whatever they could get from whoever was around or whatever made sense or maybe even for good ratings. Um, so it, it was incredibly frustrating. And obviously then we had all the negativity on social media, you know, the comments, the, the typical trolls. Um, some of the comments were, you know, you deserve to burn in hell with him and, you know, the family and we're still people and he was still a good person and it doesn't, yeah, um, we've never denied that he was doing the wrong thing or, or speeding, but the facts were that it was a blown out tyre and people make make out that he was a hoon driver, he was at the skids, he was on drugs um, and that he, he didn't know how to drive, well... <laughs> We know him better than than what they did, and I can tell you right now, he he definitely knew how to drive. And yeah, he was speeding, 
but his tire blew out mm. and it was hard to to hear all those comments and have his face plastered all over the news and i guess for us like that he st- he was still a person mm. i think that's such an important conversation to be had cuz so often so many of us watch the news or read the newspapers and and come to some kind of assumption about someone when we don't even know them and they're just the facts or the or the things that whatever that report wants us to believe this person is like that we can forget and the, and this is a message to trolls online too that there is a person behind that behind that there's a person that's lived a full life there's a person that might have stuffed up but there's also a person that's probably done amazing wonderful other things as well and there's a person that also has an entire family behind them that has done nothing wrong too was that really difficult to try and separate the like did you try and fight back the image that people were making of him and what you knew of him or did you just kind of put your hands up and think this is a battle you almost can't win yeah, I went through a number of different phases where I, I wanted to jump on and say, no, 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 this mm. that's not how it is and this is the person he is because I felt that he deserved that. But at the same time, I thought it's none of their business and if they want to go around and make assumptions and, you know, God forbid it ever happens to their family or to them, I guess it's just people that have never lived life or experienced loss. So... I ended up just, I gave up. I deleted social media for 12 months to two years, I think. And I just, I wasn't going to spend my time on that. I was dealing with enough as it was. And I was trying to, to support my mum and, and deal with the coroners and deal with the detectives and do all the things that she was at the time just not really capable of because of what she she was going through. And naturally, I think you do. You just, I guess you become the the supporter and and you do what you have to and you block it out and it's just a natural reaction so I got to a point where although I was so frustrated the media didn't matter to me because if you want to follow and you want to believe that then then that's on you it's not your problem exactly how did you put you know you said you're such a support to your mum during that time because it wasn't over it wasn't like there was this one day it was done and then there was a funeral and then you could all just go back to your normal lives this dragged on for quite years how did you put your foot in front one foot in front of the other in those early days and try and just find some kind of sense of normality in chaos you know what I, I don't think I I I guess I I look back now and I did put one foot in front of the other but at that point in time it really didn't feel like that. I felt like I was just stuck in the same day over and over again and almost just very um like I don't know what the word is maybe auto like autopilot I just the things that needed to be done got done and you know we were getting letters from the um bank for his car and saying well we need the vehicle back or we need it to be paid out and we were trying to explain there's there's no vehicle anymore and um you know the coroners were calling in I remember like mum just wasn't even capable of getting up to answer the phone at, at, at these points and then having to deal with the coroners and and finding out little bits and pieces about what really happened and you do you get this I guess vision of what's happened and then you have seen it all over the news and so you're naturally picturing all these horrible things and it was a real challenge to try and put one foot in front of the other when you've constantly got something new popping up every day and as soon as you feel like you're getting on top of it 
there's something new or there's a new letter or there's a new phone call or there's a court date or there's it just felt like it was never going to be over and when I say that there's no end to grief but the actual process of dealing with with what had happened and the processes that we had to to deal with it just felt like they were never ending what was it like yeah you said your mum found it extremely difficult during this time how is she doing now and what was that like for her like I don't know how you navigate losing a child look I my mum's the best mum and she's given what she's been through been an an amazing support and we, we were very lucky that our family grew closer during such a difficult time I really think that it can go probably one of two ways you can either really fall apart or you can you can grow so much closer and I was very lucky that we did and you know today my mum still cries every day and and misses him every day but she can function and she's she can be there for us like she always has which I think as a parent would be incredibly challenging because all the milestones with the children that are still here you're going to think about what would have been for Harley and you know maybe him getting married or him having children or him buying his first house and my mum and Harley worked together so for my mum to get up every day and go to work after that for a little while was challenging because they drove together every morning and um, Harley had left school at a young age to to help mum because it was mum on her own and he didn't like school so he said I'll come and work with you mum and you know we'll, we'll pay the bills together and yeah so mum I think we've had many conversations and and she feels mum holds a lot of guilt too thinking that I had a lot of responsibility but I don't see it like that it's just the things you do for the ones you love and she doesn't realize how much she's done for us during a time that could have been so easy for her to just give up and say I'm not doing this anymore so yeah like I said we're very very lucky and my mum's an amazing amazing person and I'm sad for her that she's had to live through you know I've lost a sibling but she's lost a son and it's one of those things that you can I guess never imagine until until you live it when you look back at that period in those few that year two years what surprised you most was it I guess the people that didn't know how to handle it and maybe stepped away or was it your strength or was it the way that you changed like what when what really surprises you about a time of absolute turmoil and adversity I think it's probably a mix of of both to be honest I you know everyone's there at the start you know there's six bunches of flowers at the door when you get home and everyone's messaging and reaching out and we're so sorry and then all of a sudden it's not in the news anymore and and you don't hear from anyone and I was lucky I had one or two really good friends but people slowly just start to think that life should be okay and that you know oh Ash is back at work or Ash is I seen Ash laughing the other day and then it's it's almost like it's not okay to be not okay after that so that that was really challenging because I woke up every day and I was I'm not going to say depressed because I I hate when people say oh you're depressed no I'm just sad I lost my brother I'm not instantly depressed and require medication you know as a lot of people suggested it's that I'm hurting and then as you um 
It's just your body, your body doing what it's supposed to do. You've experienced something massive. You know, I think you're so right. We're so quick to label and medicate. But in normal, our normal response to something traumatic is to feel sad. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I struggled with because I've got all these people in my ear telling me, see a doctor, you need help, see a counsellor, see a psychologist. And and I was a little bit like, no, I'm not going to do that because how can they help me if, if they haven't experienced what I've experienced? But at the same time, like like I just said, you know, it's I'm grieving, I'm sad, I'm hurting. It's And as you just said, it, it's a natural reaction to what was happening in my life at that time. Did you, you said that, I remember, and you've said to me that you didn't seek therapy at that time because you didn't, you thought, how can someone help me if they've not been through that? What ways have you sought therapy now, since, or in what ways have you, did you try and support yourself during that time? Yeah, look, at at the start, it probably took me two or three years. I was, I was having really bad thoughts for a while and I would, I would, I would, the facts that we got from the um, detectives I would I would do what they said he was doing and I would drive with bald tires at high speeds on the same road just wondering why why is it not happening to me and why why him and how is this fair and I remember driving to work one day and I pulled over on the freeway it was peak hour traffic and I just sat there crying and I thought if I just jumped out the car right now and jumped in front of one of those cars I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore and I don't know what it was stopping me. I think it was worrying about the pain. I've seen what it what it's like for my family and I didn't want to do that and and then I thought to myself Harley's the lucky one, you know. Harley's the one that doesn't have to be here and live in this pain and if it could be him or I I'd rather live with the pain and and not watch him you know from the other side live what I'm feeling now and so it took me a good two or three years to get out of that headspace and and admit that I needed some kind of help Mm. I remember jumping on Google one day and just looking for sibling loss support because I didn't want grief support I didn't I just wanted something specific to what I was living and I come across a page um TCFE so the Compassionate Friends Victoria and they're um, an organization that basically supports parents siblings and grandparents after the loss the loss of a child and I remember having a chat to them and it was really beautiful because they they called and they asked details about Harley and it was the first time in years that I actually had someone asking me about Harley and not already having an opinion on him so I could really share about him and I felt like they they genuinely cared so they had all my information and there's support groups that you can attend which I never did um and then they, they went online to Zoom, obviously, through COVID and they send out monthly magazines. And I got a magazine one day delivered to the office. And when I opened it, a little flyer popped out asking for volunteers. And it was for siblings that were, I guess, bereaved and were so far along in their grief. So I think it was about two or three years you had to be along in your grief. And it was for a chat support app um, providing I guess, chat support to, to other siblings. And it really stood out to me because I thought if, if Harley's loss is going to be anything, I want it to be, you know, able to help others and, and at least there'd be a, I don't want to say a purpose, but some sort of purpose for what had happened in my life and to him, because 
he deserves to live on in in some sort of way and continue to be able to help others so yeah I volunteered for that service and in the last probably six to eight months it's really come along and it's it's all up and live now and um yeah we're providing support to other siblings that have lost siblings that actually just want to chat to someone without going to see a counsellor or going um to, to talk to people online and and that kind of thing how has that helped you oh, it's been amazing elizabeth it it's a really good feeling in a in a sad way these people are reaching out because they've experienced this loss but i'm able to talk to them and, and their responses that come through and you know that they're genuinely grateful to have someone to talk to that's experienced not always the same kind of loss you know that there's there's suicides and there's um and there's cancer and there's all these horrible things but it's siblings that have lost siblings who are more often than not considered the forgotten mourners so they've finally got people to talk to that have been in a similar situation yeah, I find that so fascinating in your story when you've spoken about siblings being often forgotten in grief and I've never considered it like that and when I've spoken to other people they've said the same thing. They said, of course, it's always the partner or the kids or um, the parents. It's The siblings really are the forgotten ones. Did you feel forgotten? Yeah, it, it's quite interesting because at the time I don't think I did. I was so wrapped up in taking care of my mum as well because I was living that fear of, of also losing her. So at the time I didn't, but when I started to do a little bit more research into sibling loss and and realising that we were considered the forgotten mourners, I, I started to think back to all the moments when someone would say, how are you? And before I'd answer, they'd say, and how's your mum? Mm. So I'd naturally jump into talking about mum and it was a good way for me to to deflect, but it was also a good like I guess now I realize that I I never dealt with it because I never answered the question and the facts are that no I wasn't okay but I never got to say that so every time I did I was just like yeah good and jumped into mum straight away oh gosh yeah that took me that really landed then that's so true you never get a chance to actually talk about your own grief sorry that just took me a second it really yeah hit so how often do you volunteer for this support network now and what does what does a normal day there look like yeah so it's all online which is good so we haven't had to go on site or or spend I guess hours away from home I basically jump onto my laptop and and log in so we've we've got a roster there's a few of us that volunteer and I think the last month it was almost a week over that month that I spent volunteering and you log in and and you just sit online basically and any of the chats that come through we're there to support them it was initially set up for victorians only and between the ages of 18 to 30 but we got some really good news last night that um i guess the the charity or the organization has allowed us to have it as 18 years and older and to provide support all throughout australia so it's not just set to victoria anymore which which was really good news because it was a little bit frustrating to to have this service available but only to those in Victoria. I think it's a, a, a really necessary service um, for siblings and I think now that we can actually get out there a little bit more and, and work with everyone throughout Australia and those above 18 um, just makes it a lot easier and I guess a lot more um, available to those that need it. 
It could. It must be times when that's quite difficult work. Does it ever feel triggering, or does it ever feel like a lot? Or and how do you then? I guess you know when you do log off. You said you just jump on your laptop. How do you log off both technology wise and and mentally as well? Yeah, that that's definitely very challenging. Um, I guess sometimes you can just. I don't want to say block it out, but you can really just consider them and kind of block your own emotions out. But then it becomes a build up. So it may not be that day or that evening, but it's definitely there and it's definitely bubbling at the surface. So I don't really know how I how I shut off. It, It takes me a little while like you asked, it is definitely triggering, um, especially when they, they may say something that you resonate with or, you know, and, and sometimes to be honest, I, when they're having negative thoughts, you almost want to say, yeah, I know that feeling or yeah, me too. Or you can't really say th- that it doesn't necessarily get better either. Like I can't sit there and say that it, it's going to be okay next week because it's not. So it's really hard to to be that support when you're still feeling that pain but yeah I don't really know how to answer that question it's definitely triggering and I guess you, I'm just going to learn over time how, how to deal with that and how to I guess work through it we do have good supervisors who will give you a call afterwards or after your shift just to to check in and I guess provide that support to you so that you can get it off your chest which is good um, and yeah we'll just see how, how it plays out I guess how I guess how important it is is it for you to be turning that is something that is so unimaginably horrendous and horrific in your life into a way to give back and help other people that might have been you you know once upon a time it oh, it, it is so important to me and and not even to me but for, for Harley I think it's really important as I mentioned earlier that his life and then his death was not for nothing you know I want to be able to move forward and be helping people through him and know that he's the reason that that's happening and it's really it's it's almost bittersweet how you know the most negative times in your life can bring about some really positive experiences and I I struggle to be excited and happy about the good things that are happening because of something so so tragic I mean, Harley's losses has allowed me to find a passion in, in helping other people and and providing that support. So, yeah, for me, it's really important. And again, it, it's always about Harley for me. It's just letting him live on and be the reason that other people might get through such a difficult time in their life. I know a lot of people I've spoken about who have had significant loss, whether that be a partner or a parent or a child or anything, have said that they want to keep talking about them you know so many times people don't know what to say anymore so they stop bringing up their name and I've had so many people that yeah that have had this significant loss say bring up their name talk about them share stories is that important for you that is so important Elizabeth so many people are so uncomfortable with with bringing it up or talking about him or or sharing stories that or experiences that they had with him that we may not know about and for us you know, the way we got through it at the start was having his fr- his closest friends over. And I remember sitting in the backyard and we'd just cry and laugh and we'd share stories. And we heard stories from his best friend that we probably won't share publicly, but they were, they were really nice to hear and to laugh about and to joke about and to even cry about. And it, it's a real, I guess, 
it's something that I'd like to get out there when it comes to, to not talking about people. And I know that some people may not agree with me and some people would prefer to just let's not mention them again and everyone's different in the way they deal with their grief. But for me, I had 19 years with Harley and he had experiences and, and stories and memories and he had a life that deserves to be spoken about and I don't want people to, f- to forget that. And it's like now pe- people don't talk to me as much about Harley unless it's that real close, you know, his best friend or my mum and and I really hate that because they probably only don't mention it based on the f- fact that they don't want to bring up, you know, some kind of raw emotion or they don't want to hurt my feelings. But to us, it's he was a person. And, you know, when anybody asks me or every time I have a drink, we, we cheers to Harley. And a couple of people that I've met over time continue to do that. And I respect that and I love that because the 19 years I had with him was not enough. And if we can continue to just remember him in even the the smallest of ways it's it brings a smile to my face and it it makes the world of difference was the COVID period and this lockdown and you're in Melbourne as well where it's I think the harshest lockdown in the world was this period difficult and did it bring up things that maybe you thought you dealt with how did how did you navigate this period while doing this incredible support work and of course riding the waves of grief yeah, look, COVID, I think, has been a massive challenge for anyone that lives in Melbourne or anywhere. But like you said, Melbourne's experienced one of the probably the worst lockdowns. So being, I was lucky I was still able to, to work from home. So I was able to keep my mind a little bit occupied, but it, it was definitely challenging. And it's funny because I've learned over time that when I get really happy and I do my little crazy dance and I, I do some, you know, things that I think I'm really happy about, everyone will say to me, the meltdown's coming, <laughs> the breakdown's coming. And I think during COVID that happened quite a few times. I'd go through my real highs, which would then, you know, end with real significant lows and I would just cry and cry and, you know, the panic attacks and, and I couldn't move and I'd be sobbing and I couldn't breathe. And you think, how am I going to do this? And you have all the guilty thoughts of, you know, when, when, things are good and you feel a little bit happy you feel guilty and you have flashbacks to all those moments where you shouldn't be happy and you shouldn't be okay but I guess that's just a a real perception from people you know it is okay to be happy and it's okay to have good days it's not that you're forgetting or that you're not um not sad or, or grieving but that it is okay to just be okay sometimes yeah I think that's such incredible advice because yeah, as you said, people almost now pigeonhole people who have experienced extreme tragedy to then just be sad and then they can't quite understand when you are okay. Oh, oh, okay, she's okay. Oh, it's all over and it's all finished. We don't have to worry and think about that. So I think that's incredible advice. How did Harley's death change who you are and your world? Yeah, Harley's death changed everything for me and I, I guess my outlook on the world and perspective of things around me and all the little things that are so minuscule that that we complain about on a day-to-day basis were just so irrelevant to me anymore and a lot of people even in the workplace just started to have not a lot of patience for me because I didn't have the patience for them and I remember one of my colleagues at the time saying that they lost their sunglasses and you know, they were expensive sunglasses and I was basically like, I don't give a shit about your expensive sunglasses, they're replaceable. 
I've lost Harley and you can't replace him. Like I, I, my patience for the bullshit and, and the, the real minuscule things in life was, it's just not there anymore. And, and I've actually grown to really appreciate that. And, and Harley's death has, has taught me so much about the things that matter in life and the things that are worth your energy. And it's, it's hard to say, but I've, I've learned a lot and I, I thank him every day for, for what I've learned and what I've experienced because he's made me the person that I am today and, and he's given me that resilience that I would have never thought that I had because people used to say all the time, oh, it, it happened to you because you're, you, you're strong enough to deal with it. If it was me, I wouldn't have been able to. And it used to frustrate me, but at the same time, I think you, nobody knows what they're capable of until you wake up one day and your life's just a completely different life. Yeah, oh, it's made me a bit teary there because when you said I thank him every day, you looked up. I don't even think you realised. <laughs> it just got me. <laughs> it was really nice. Like he looked up and it's a beautiful sunny day. So it was just a very, I know podcasts are an audio medium, so you all can't see that, but it was just this really special moment. You mentioned earlier, and I've seen you do it before, when you, every time you have a drink, you cheers and you say, Harley, how else do you honour his memory? Um, yeah, look, we do a lot of things. I remember um, for his 18th birthday, I bought him a rally driving pack through Red Balloon and it was really funny, actually. We we had a, a fight, so I'd given him his gift and a few months later we had had a big argument and I remember coming out to the kitchen. This is when I still lived at home with him and the gift was on the bench and I thought, you selfish little asshole, we've had one argument and you're that childish, you know, you've bought my gift back and you've put it on the bench. So I left it there and I let it sit there and of course he couldn't help himself. He wanted it back and he wanted to go in that on that rally drive. So <laughs> we booked it in and we, we spent a day out um, rally driving and I remember getting a message from him on the way home and he just said to me that was the best present anyone could have ever got me and I'm so grateful. I love you so much. Um, I'm definitely going to go back every year. And it it was just a really beautiful message because Harley was was a man's man and, and to see something so emotional and have him be so grateful about something that was so small for me, it was just, oh, I think you'd like this. And so every year, I haven't obviously this year, but I decided every year I'd go back for him. Um, so I remember the first time I did, it was it was really funny. I'm a little bit spiritual and I believe in signs and I went back and it was a really hard day because he should have been there. And as I was putting the helmet on and I was getting ready to jump in the car, I heard a lady yell out, Harley. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember like, I've, I've got goosebumps yeah. talking about it now. I... Um, turned around and and this lady was calling her child and obviously their name was Harley and it was just it was a really beautiful moment for me because I truly believe that he was there with me and he I think he really appreciates that that I want to do that for him every year and yeah it was just a really nice moment to realize that he I just felt that he was there and it, it was really nice so we try to do things like that we celebrate his birthday and with his best friend and um his best friend also had a child um in April so just a few months after the accident and he actually told us a little funny story that he'd only told Harley a couple of months before or a couple of weeks sorry before the accident that the name he'd always wanted to name a child if he ever had one 
didn't sit right anymore and he couldn't work out why and then obviously we had the accident and bubs come along and they they named him harley after uncle harley so there's all these really beautiful ways that we're able to to remember him and and celebrate his life and and continue to do that as a family um little baby harley now he's four but he he talks about uncle harley all the time and he hugs uncle harley's photo and he pulls mail out of the letterbox and says is this from uncle harley and he said to my mum a few weeks ago um I think they passed a cemetery. I can't remember exactly what happened, but he said, oh, you know, is, is Uncle Harley there? And mum was like, no, he's up in the sky. Um, Harley didn't get buried. He was cremated. So mum was like, no, no, he's up in the sky and he's watching down on us. And little Harley said, well, I wish I wish they would just let him come back to earth. I wish I could just be with him. And it just broke my heart. But it's also so beautiful because his best friend, Daniel, and his his partner Jess have have encouraged him to know all about Uncle Harley. You've also started an Instagram account called Life After Harley. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that one was um, I guess kind of in the back of my mind for a long time. I, I get a little bit of passion out of writing, and I never wanted to share my story because obviously the media attention and all people wanted from me was a story, and I just. I just did not want to give that and I I knew that it would be spun any which way other than the way that I gave it um and there was also a lot of haters at the time that would have it just would have you know caused more trolls and it just wasn't I don't want to say it wasn't worth the headache for me but Harley deserved better than that and anyway dealing with my grief and volunteering and having all these new opportunities um that have come up since volunteering I I kind of just realized that now is the time for me to to do this and I remember sitting in bed one night and just playing around with logos something so silly but I was I was bored and I was setting up logos and I come across um like puzzle pieces and it was three pieces joint and one piece that was falling away and it it just really resonated with me because there's four siblings and and one of them is unfortunately not with us um I guess anymore and it just it just fit right so played around with this logo and yeah then I just thought you know what I'm just going to start an Instagram account and I didn't know where I was going to go with it I didn't know what I was going to share I didn't know what stories were going to be too much I was concerned about upsetting my family because it, it obviously brings up a lot of raw memories but it's been a really good way for me to talk about it without actually talking about it and it's been nice to see as well that some of the followers and nobody that I know other than people that have lost siblings and you know they're obviously when I see them tagging their siblings and talking about how much they can relate to it and I feel like it's been worth every minute of sharing some of the darkest times of my life because these people don't feel alone or, or maybe crazy because I know I felt absolutely crazy when I was having certain emotions and going oh my god am I just going insane or is this normal or am I just weak? Like I didn't know. And all these people now are slowly kind of getting to this page and and reading it and 
maybe resonating with what I'm writing. So it, it's been a really nice experience to kind of get that out there. Oh, there's so much strength and, and power and vulnerability and sharing and like that. I've, that's what I've found as well. And your posts are just, they get me every time. So I'll make sure I put a link to that because I just think, yeah, anyone that's experienced any kind of grief, I think could get something so much out of that page as well. Do you hope to keep going with it and keep building it and posting more and helping more people through it? Yeah, look, I've actually had a few questions from people saying, um, you know, well, what happens when you've got no more stories to tell? And I think, how can you be that naive? Like, there's never going to be an end to this. There's no end to the grief. So, you know, they, they might get to a point where those early, early months might not have as many stories, but my life forever now is is going to be living this journey through grief and all the moments that I was supposed to share with Harley is as you grow through life with your siblings or, you know, if there is any natural order of things that it should have been. So, you know, there's going to be stories about times when if I ever have children, there'll be things about Uncle Harley or or moments or him having children or, you know, so I, I hope that I can continue writing about this and sharing my story. And I don't, yeah, I hope that it never ends. And I hope that I've always got you know, some way of sharing something to help someone else. Absolutely. What do you do to take care of yourself now? What things make you feel joyful and make you feel like, like I guess, a form of self-care? I There's probably a few things that I don't even realise that I, I do because I could easily sit here and say, oh, oh nothing, <laughs> because I don't actually realise I'm doing it until I feel better. But I'm, I'm really big on being outdoors, um, you know, nature walks, um, forests, waterfalls. I love waterfalls and swimming in waterfalls. But I think one of the biggest things I do and and people must look at me and think I'm absolutely crazy, but I talk to Harley and I talk to him almost every single day. And I have his photo up in my car just next to the, the, um, my mirror. And I just drive and I talk to him and I turn the music completely off and and I just share stuff about my day and, and sometimes I'll put my hand out and pretend he's holding it and sometimes I feel like he, he is holding it back and and just being able to talk to him and I'll say, what do you think about this? And, you know, like I said, I believe in signs and I've had times when we've got obviously songs of his and one of them is Fast Car and, and Fast Car will play at the most random of times when it's really relevant to, to it being a sign and yeah. I can really feel that. So... My biggest thing, I guess, is really just talking to him and being okay with it looking crazy. I don't really care what people think. It's it's my way of of still having him around and sharing my life experiences with him um, without him actually being here. Yeah. And what is the advice, what advice would you give people who might have gone through a tragedy or some kind of adversity of their own? What would you tell them? look, I, I wouldn't tell them that everything is going to be okay because I think when you are the person that is going through that tragedy or, or that really difficult time, everybody tells you that and that is incredibly frustrating because you're going to be okay. You know, everything's going to be all right. Everything happens for a reason. Well, tell me what the reason was yeah. for that. You know, how can you how can you truly say that? But what I can say is that I think you'll surprise yourself with with how incredibly strong you can be and, and how you can get through difficult times um, 
by just by just being you and doing things the way that you want to do them don't buy into to the the media or, or what people tell you you should and shouldn't do and if someone says you should see a counselor and you don't want to do that don't do that because you're probably not ready to do that and just do things on your own terms I think that's really important because everyone's really quick to give advice but they don't really have any any experience in in what you're living so I think it's just really really important to to do things at your own pace and my final question I ask everyone the same question of all of my guests is what would the ash now sitting in front of me it's almost five years on I believe what advice would she give the ash gosh that you know in those early days oh my goodness just don't take things for granted and look I was I was brought up very well and I I never I don't think I ever really took a lot for granted but losing Harley taught me that life is so incredibly short and we don't want to spend time mad at the people we love for petty things because if the last thing you said to someone is not that you love them when you do it'll tear away at you forever and I was lucky that my last words were I love you I remember him driving out of my driveway and we had our usual Friday night dinners and I can know comfortably that I told him I love him but back in the day it would have been very easy to just be see ya bye or you know hold grudges about petty things and and life's just incredibly short so I think it's important that everyone just does what they want to do and when they want to do it because tomorrow may never come and you think it's never going to happen to you and the sad reality is that at any moment it it can Mm. I would definitely tell her to keep going um, and and to push through because in those moments when I did think about suicide and I did think about ending it all I really have found a a positive to this life without Harley and I don't mean that um, as in I don't care anymore it's just He's shown me so much that I never thought I would have I would have seen or felt. So definitely just keep going and pushing through and, and dealing with the emotions. And most importantly, just let them out. If you want to cry, cry. If you're angry, be angry. It's there's no point hiding it because it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Oh, that's such amazing advice. Thank you so much, Ash. This is Chad has given me all the feels, so thank you for being so vulnerable and so brave and so open with me and therefore all the listeners as well. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth, and thanks for letting me get this out there in a really safe and comfortable place for the first time actually sharing it. So I'm really grateful. Thank you. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I feel like I'm a mess. I shouldn't have done the interview today. I'm just like, Ash is like this stoic, you should see her, this stoic, like serene being and I'm just like this bumbling crying mess next to her she's probably like why are you doing this interview (laughs) you can't do it you're too emotional but um thank you so much again thank you appreciate it Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lemonade. If you'd like to connect with Ash's Instagram page, Life After Harley, or the service supporting grieving siblings, I've popped links in the show notes. As always, you can connect with me at Elizabeth O'Neill. And if you'd like to support the show, please hit five stars, leave a review, subscribe, and perhaps share your favourite eps on social media. And don't forget to tag me. I hope you're all staying safe and well in the craziness of this time of year. I'll be back with my second last episode of 2020 on Monday. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.